with me to the book of Matthew. Our scripture text will come from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 30, uh, chapter 10, verse 32 to 42. We have been looking at the demands of discipleship as we have been running along this theme of discipleship. And we look first at what it means to be a disciple of Christ first before we look at the theme of discipling others. Matthew chapter 10. He has sent out the 12 disciples and in sending them out, he gives them this charge. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 through 42. It reads this way. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Let's bow in a word of prayer before we begin our study. Father, just as we have sung, we desire, O God, speak, O Lord. Reveal to us your truth that we might know you. Grant to us understanding. Open the eyes of our heart that we might see great and mighty things from thy law. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I mentioned to you earlier, the Nakamuras have decided to return from Japan to the States. He writes in a prayer letter to all of his prayer supporters, Thank you for joining us in prayer. As you know, we had several options to consider, all of which Send was supportive. Do we stay? Do we go to Yamanaka, further south, further to Osaka? Asia, Taiwan, or Korea through the U.S. government, or go back to the States. Since we were scheduled to leave on home service this summer, we had already purchased the tickets. We decided to take an early home service if we could change our tickets. I called our agent and she said, quote, if you want to change, I can get you on a flight this coming Tuesday. No penalty fee. We had to decide today because Sunday is closed and Monday is a national holiday. We had a family conference and we were all torn. In the end, we, Carrie and I, 
decided it was best that Carrie and the kids leave for Seattle and Richard stay to close things up and help with crash. Eventually, Carrie and the kids will go down to Oroville, California and hopefully finish school there. I will join them later. Pray especially for Alicia and Brandon will not have proper closure with their friends from school. Many of their classmates and friends are scattered around the world because of this problem. It was difficult to see their sadness in this. A sudden possibility of a new school at this time is also scary. Some of his thinking was this. Bottom line, if we chose to stay and the situation got worse, we would regret our decision. That point, we wouldn't be able to leave, even if we wanted to. But if we left and the situation got better, we still wouldn't have regret. But it is a tough decision. We have peace. Questions such as those that are posed to a missionary, many pastors and missionaries around the world face in different situations. But today it is those who live close to the catastrophe in Japan. One of the things that is not in question, however, is the willingness that they have many times to risk their lives for the sake of the people that they serve. And that is the heart, I know, of Richard who will stay behind. What will they do with their home? Perhaps it will be a base for all of the relief workers. But for he and his partner there in ministry, they will continue the work until later on when he can return to join his family. The willingness to risk their lives for people who serve. I've shared with many of you before the seminar that I went to. A number of years ago, I was lost at Mission Fest up in Canada. And the seminars that I wanted to go to were all closed and booked. So I went to this one called Risk Management. In that room, I remember walking in, it was packed. That seminar leader asked us to get into small groups because he had one question he wanted to discuss in our small groups. And the question would be, would you as a mission committee be willing to send someone into an area of the world knowing that they would likely be killed in a few months? We all discussed it and this room was full of people, lay people. Then he asked, what do you think? And he began to ask. One by one, every single group raised their hand said, yes, we would. Yes, we would. Yes, we would. And there was a person in the back who stood up and said, well, you know, back in the day, we, they used to pack their bags in coffins because they didn't expect to ever return. I remember the group that I was in. There was one woman. We were discussing it. She was older, probably in her 40s or 50s, probably in her 50s. And she had tears in her eyes. And she said to all of us who were much younger, waving her finger, she said, you, you don't know, you don't know what it is like to lose a child. I could tell that it, perhaps it happened to her. She, too, raised her hand. She said, I would send them. Why? Because, you see, living for Christ also means the willingness to give your life what will really matter for all of eternity. That's what living for Christ means. That's what is written here. That is what God desires of us. God desires that we would live for what matters for all of eternity. I realize it's a difficult decision for the Nakamuras. 
I realize that it is a difficult decision for any. For oneself, it is easier to make that decision. And here, they decided to send Carrie and the children home, ages 3 through 16, five of them. Paul encourages us here. I mean, I should say Jesus encourages us here. And his demands for discipleship, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? We've been looking at that theme. Last time we saw that we have to be willing in verses 24 and 25. The willingness to suffer. The willingness, secondly, to have courage and not to be afraid. And this week we look at his admonition that we're to be willing to make a public confession of our faith in Christ. A public confession of our faith in Christ. To be willing to separate even from family. Willing to die for Christ and a willingness to receive that reward which will come. That willingness to make a public confession of faith in Christ. For it says in verses 20, 32, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now what it doesn't mean is that the Christian won't have lapses. But we all deny Christ sometime, don't we? We feel ashamed, we feel perhaps embarrassed, we hide because we don't want to see that, that t-shirt that we're wearing that has a big cross on it. We put it in our shelves, we wear it to only Christian events. Or we perhaps don't say grace at work because how will other people view me? Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy, what? Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of, his, of me as prisoner. Because Timothy is a timid young guy. And then there was Peter, also stumbled in his faith as well. For after Jesus was taken away, he denied Christ three times. But each instance, he knew and he felt ashamed and he repented and God restored him. The text doesn't mean that no one will ever fail. The text means, though, that a true believer will not outright deny Christ as a pattern of their life. But they're going to make a public profession when need be. God will grant to them the courage. I remember one of the things that I enjoy doing sometimes on Saturday evening. Saturday evening, as I, I enjoy sometimes turning on the TV. Because on Saturday night, on a particular Christian TV station, they, they have reruns. They have reruns of the old Billy Graham crusades. Sometimes they're in black and white, sometimes they're in color. People have differing opinions about crusades, but... I'll tell you, it really moves me and touches my heart when I see people. And I realize half of them are counselors. Many of you have been counselors before. Half of them are counselors that come down, but see people streaming out of the stands to receive Christ. To have eternal life, to hear the gospel. People come out on a public forum. And every time Billy Graham gives a gospel message, he shares about this passage and how important it is to have a public confession of your faith. That people who do so come down and they make a public confession of their faith, as Jesus has said right here. I mean, some people wonder, why is it that we, we ask people to give their testimony? Their testimony when they're baptized. The Bible doesn't say you have to give a public testimony. After all, isn't baptism enough? Well, it may be true. Well, it may be true. There's no reason not to. I mean, some people may feel as if, oh, I'm more shy or I'm not good at speaking in public. I believe it's important to give a public testimony of God's grace in your life. 
I have seen people who are very fearful, not just of, of giving a public testimony, but of water. These little, little elderly, frail ladies who, who just are afraid of being underwater. They decide, though, in obedience to Christ, they want to be baptized in their church, and I've watched them. They give up there, they get up there, and they give a very simple but moving testimony of what God has done in their life. And you're, you're amazed because God speaks to you through their testimony and their witness, their boldness. Even though they perhaps don't know how to swim, have never learned how, are fearful of people, they'll do it because God desires that they give a public testimony of their faith. I've seen people who are time and time again, who are mentally handicapped. And they come and they, they are baptized and they can't perhaps even walk because of physical disabilities. And the pastor has to carry them into the baptismal. And they just answer simple questions and you hear them testify and sometimes all they can say is that they love Jesus. And it moves you because you realize their faith is true. Their testimony is true. You don't have to know how to say everything perfectly. After all, when Jesus came and he spoke to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, remember? She came during the day. Why? Because she had a shameful life. She'd been married a number of times. She didn't want to come when all the women were gathering and they might talk about her. She came and Jesus met her at the well. And he talked to her about the things that she had done and talked to her about life that he would be able to give to her. She wasn't somebody who was trained. She wasn't somebody who was eloquent. But what did she do? After she heard and saw Jesus, she went and told the village people that would have perhaps looked down upon her. She said, come and see, come and see, gave testimony of the man who told me all about my life. Come and see. More often what? We're concerned about me. Come. No, me. We're more concerned about how we sound, how we look, how we might be treated than how God looks by our testimony for him. We're more concerned about the sensitivity, so much so that we fail to testify at all. We fail to share about the importance that it has for their life. That their life eternal is so important. I mean, if you were driving down the freeway and you saw a car get into an accident, hit the guardrail, flip over on its side, and then the engine started to smolder or burn, you wouldn't go up to that little window, run up there and say, um, excuse me, um, you have a minute? Just want to be careful, but I don't mean to bother you right now. You might consider um, maybe getting out of the car. It's just an option. And here's my card. If you want to talk about it more, you can call me later on. You would be called what? A fool. You'd say, what a fool. The guy needs help. Just pull him out of the car. That's why they have the Good Samaritan law. So you won't be sued. If you're really concerned, you're going to pull him out. You know, I watched a little video. little video. Somebody sent me a link. And it was a video of an atheist who was talking. And he was talking about people who believe in heaven and in hell. And he said that if somebody believes the reality of a heaven, the reality of a hell, that there is going to be eternal punishment, you're going to speak up. You're going to speak up because your actions show what we truly believe. We're going to speak up and say something. We make a public profession of faith. 
We make a public profession of Christ. The disciple must be willing to make a public profession when called upon by the grace of God. Secondly, a disciple must be willing to separate even from family if it means choosing between Christ and those that he most loves. Separating from family. There it says, I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And all of these relationships, you think to yourself, man, how demanding. How demanding. The man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And the common concept in the New Testament times was that the Savior would be a political deliverer. Somebody who would come in riding on a white horse and overthrow Rome and bring peace. Bring peace to the land, the region. He says, don't come to think I bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You think to yourself, how does that consist? Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace, didn't he? Yes, he did. But it's not the peace that the world gives. It's not the peace that people think that he's going to be a world ruler such that there will be peace. Someday in the future, in the kingdom that comes... He'll bring peace way in the future. But you see, truth brings division. Truth causes division even among our closest relationships between a husband and a wife, between parents and their children. When a child comes to know Christ, it brings division between our in-laws or whoever it might be. It brings divisions, widows or widowers. Some choose never to follow Christ. Why? Because they want to go where their spouse has gone. They are not willing to give that up. But Christ in His truth, when there's salvation, it brings a sword between relationships. And that's often what happens. It's often what happens. And Jesus says this statement in 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, pretty clear. Do you love your parents? Do you love your children more than you love the Lord? When you read this verse, I'm sure we'd all like to say no, but do we? Do we? Would you be willing, for instance, to sin rather than please God and obey Him? Would you rather make your parents happy than to obey God for whatever He might call? We find that often the case. We compromise We fail. But God in His grace grants to us the strength. We find that often is the case when parents will perhaps lie to keep their child out of jail. They'll lie in order to protect their son or daughter or they'll cheat in order to gain an advantage for their son or daughter. They'll compromise or children will make their parents happy more than they desire to make God pleased. Because it's so very difficult. Nobody wants to live in a home where your parent is always angry at you or disappointed or wants to disown you because of your faith in Christ. But when choosing to follow Christ and choosing to follow someone else or have someone else's favor, whom do we choose? Christ says here, we need to choose Him. The greatest command is what? To love God with all of our heart, our soul, and all of our mind. And when God calls us to obey Him explicitly in His Word, we are to choose to follow God. It might mean separation. It might mean a severance of the relationship because truth and the gospel come. Christ came to bring peace. 
but it's the peace that he brings in the heart. So a disciple must be willing to profess his faith in Christ, willing to separate from family, and thirdly, must be willing to give up his life for Christ, to give up his life for Christ, to die for Christ. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. It means to pay any price. See, the cross was a symbol. It's a symbol of shame, symbol of embarrassment, symbol of, of rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for Christ. It was a form of execution. And they were very familiar with it in the New Testament times. And it was reserved for Rome's worst enemies. Symbol of torture. Not long before Jesus' time, before Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, a hundred men had been crucified in the area. A hundred years before that, some 800 rebels had been crucified at Jerusalem. And after the revolt, after the death of Herod the Great, some 2,000 Jews were crucified by Rome. And they put the crosses all along the roads in Galilee so that when a Jew walked up and down the road, people would know this is what happens to you when you rebel against Rome. So when people heard this particular verse, they weren't thinking, oh, my cross is my terrible boss. Or my awful family. Or my crosses I have to bear is my job. Or whatever it might be. No, they in their mind's eye knew what the cross meant. They knew it meant suffering and shame. They knew that it meant death. So when the disciples heard this, you want to be a follower of me? You want to be a disciple of me? You've got to be willing to give your life. It means dying to self on a daily basis. It means to give up my own desire for God's desire. That God might place His desires in my heart. That I might have the heartbeat of God. So, what do I want? Do I want me or my happiness first? Or do I want God to be pleased? You know, I often think of, as I've shared before in the testimony, when we returned from Uganda, there was a humble man. His name was Richard. He was our driver. And it seemed as we sat in some of the huts there, we heard their testimonies. Every single person seemed to be captured or had been somehow abducted by the rebel army at one time or another. Many had been captured. Many of them had friends or had family members who had been killed themselves. And this particular man, tall, six foot some, had been captured five times. Five times, and in the providence of God, each and every time he was released, he escaped. He was, he, was, he was a strong man, so the rebel army made him carry, you know, all of their luggage, carry their food and other supplies. He didn't know Christ that time. Not many years before we met him, his wife had gone to the latrine and somehow she had contracted something and she got sick. So they tried to drive her to the hospital, but she, she died along the way. And he had to raise his children all by himself. His brother died of AIDS. And so in that culture, when your sibling or your relative dies, and there are dependents underneath them, you adopt them as part of your family. So here's a man who has nine children or so. His brother's wife he has to support. He doesn't have his own wife. And that same man, who was a former alcoholic and a fornicator, came to know Christ and he began to share the gospel. And he would help these pastors. He was traveling along the road with two other pastors and 
They were riding a bike along this road and the rebel army caught them. And they like to play this kind of a Russian roulette type of a game. So they line them up and they put a gun. gun. They put a gun to the man's chest and they said, uh, you will shoot him or we will shoot you. They went to the first pastor and they gave him that choice. And that pastor said, no, I won't. Boom. And they killed him. And they go to the next pastor and he said, well, you will kill him or we will kill you. And he said, no. Boom. And they killed him too. And they said to him, as they put the gun to his head, they said, now we're going to kill you. They pulled the trigger and went click. Now the gun jammed. So they checked the gun and they put the gun to him again and pulled the trigger again. Click. And the gun jammed again. And the commander was furious and he, he gave the rebel soldier his gun and the rebel soldier took it and pointed it at his head and it went click. And it jammed as well. And all of the soldiers were afraid because why? They knew this was a man who would not be killed. He knew that God had spared his life, Richard did. They let him go. And he began to give himself, you see, to the Lord. You know, somebody like that, if that happened to you or me, we'd likely say, I'm not cut out for this. I've got nine kids to feed. I've got my brother's wife. I've got a large family. I'm not hardly paying anything. And what's going to happen? People are going to capture and kill me each and every time. But his vision is not for that. His vision is not for the comforts that the world has for him. Even though he might be living impoverishedly with all of these children that he's trying to support. His desire, his desire is to reach people. And so he and another pastor, we went out near the Congo border because his desire is to see those people ministered to. His desire is to go near there where there are hardly anyone there and go and help them with leadership training and to teach them some of the grassroots leadership training material because no one else will go. Not exactly the safest issue area, but his desire is to make Christ known. It's not that he's neglecting his family. He has a vision for what God has called him to do. He has a vision for the kingdom of God. That people might know God. That's God's calling. We live for that. We live for God and we desire to do what God wants us to do. Or you pray that God would use you. You surrender your life and say, God, whatever you want to do, take me. Do you know what keeps people from doing that? Fear. As we talked about last week. Fear. Fear of harm or fear of retribution. Fear of rejection. We consider our own lives. Imagine how it would be. How freeing it would be if there's nothing you were afraid of. How freeing it would be for yourself. I realize many of you have dependence and it's hard to make that choice on behalf of someone else. But how about for yourself? That it would be so freeing if you had no fear, no fear of how God would provide, no fear about how you would be able to do whatever task it was, no fear of how others might look at you, how fear of giving a testimony, no fear of whatever it might be. 
that God can take you and use you in great ways. How powerful it would be. Paul reminds Timothy, suffer hardship with me, he says, as a good soldier, as a good soldier of Jesus. And many of us gravitate so naturally to what is most comfortable or what is most convenient for us. But he says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the everyday affairs of life. How many times I've caught myself being caught up in the mundane. I spend uh, X amount of time and then I look at my time and say, what have I done with that time? I didn't redeem the time for the Lord. I didn't redeem that time well. Did I use that time well? And so many times I disappoint myself. person who's effective for God isn't going to be necessarily highly educated, highly gifted, a good speaker, skilled, rich or whatever it might be. They're not going to be somebody like that, what we think would be somebody like Paul. A person who is humble, a person who is bold, surrendered and resolved. They must be willing to confess Christ and love Him above their relationships and be willing to give and surrender their life for God. Fourthly, he must be willing to receive a reward. He will be rewarded. And this is the positive side of everything. Because Christ has said here to his disciples, look, people are going to reject you. They're going to say things about you. Don't worry, because I have your soul in my hands. He's going to say, you know what? Everybody, there's going to be people who will confess. Maybe they make a false profession. He's going to say, don't, don't think that I've come to bring peace. There's going to be division. He gives them encouragement at the very end. And he says to them, They'll be rewarded. A prophet will be rewarded. And not only will a prophet be rewarded, a person who is a righteous man will receive a reward, but the person who receives him will also be rewarded. Not only is the messenger rewarded, but the recipient is also blessed. And everyone shares in the blessing. In other words, look, there will be opposition, there will be people, but there will be people who will be receptive to you as well. There are just people who are waiting for you to come to tell them about who the Savior is. There are people who are just waiting and have been asking God. And they're just waiting for somebody to invite them. The word little ones here could refer to the disciples or anyone who serves the Lord. Not as significant in the world's eyes. That could refer to us. When someone treats those who are his messengers, whether they're important, in the world's eyes or not, they'll be blessed. So will the messenger be blessed. You will be blessed as you follow Christ. You ever share the gospel with somebody and God has used you in that way to lead them to the Lord? When I was reading this passage, I thought about that first time. I was in high school and some of us guys had been trying to reach this other friend of ours. We'd invited him to a retreat with us, a youth retreat. Or I still remember that night. He came. It was in the middle of the night. It was dark outside and he came to my bed and woke me up. This little guy. And he said, you know, I think I want to become a Christian. And I was so happy. I was so happy. I wanted to pray right then and there. I wanted to lead him to the Lord right then and there. And I began to try to understand if he knew what it meant to be a Christian. So we shared, a couple of us high schoolers, 
sitting on different beds and understanding what the gospel meant. And it was such an exciting time. We prayed together and he received the Lord as a Savior. Such an exciting time and a blessing, both for him and for me. Such an exciting time when you invite somebody to a crusade of some type. When they say, as I remember another friend saying, come on, I want to go down. I want to go down to the floor. And there you are, you have the blessing of accompanying somebody down, knowing in your mind's eye, they will be a child of God. God should save their soul. What a blessing it is. What a blessing it is. What an exciting time it is to lead somebody to Christ or to bring somebody and they receive Christ and you see that there is great joy not only in heaven but in your heart as well. And they are blessed and you are blessed. So as Christ commissions his disciples here and challenges them with the cost of discipleship, he reminds them, yes, you'll suffer. You're going to suffer. People will say things about you, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the one who can do harm to the body, but not do anything to your soul. Because I care for you. I care about the birds, he says in verse 29. I know how many hairs are on your head and I care for you in great detail. Be bold. Confess Christ. Don't think that I came to bring peace the way that people think that I've come to bring peace. But I've come to bring peace in the heart. Maybe difficult when family relationships are severed. But there will be a reward. There will be a reward for those who receive the news that you bring. There will be a reward. We will be receiving that as well. And there's nothing like it. There is nothing like living for Christ. There's nothing like surrendering your life to Christ, trusting in God. What an adventure it is to what? Love Christ, knowing Christ and growing in Christ. There's nothing like sharing your faith and seeing somebody saved because they're transformed on the inside and you know they now have a treasure in their heart that no one can take away. There's nothing like it. No vacation, no amount of money, no entertainment that the world can offer is as rewarding, I'll tell you, as seeing a soul redeemed for the Savior. And that is reward in and of itself. When you follow Christ with an abandonment like that, you'll be amply rewarded more than you can imagine. Because you'll be blessed as you become a blessing to others. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray, Father, that you would grant to us the strength and the grace and the courage, Lord, to live as how you have called us to live. Father, so much so, we love the things of this world. And I pray, God, that you would take our hands, that we grip so tightly around our comforts, around our own desires, around our own lives and open them to you that we might live boldly as faithful followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.